You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Good Leader for Bad, recorded on September 23, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. If you're a first-time guest, welcome. My name is Mike, and I'm saying hello to everyone in the room with me and everyone at the other three campuses, or in jail, or even in India, and we are, excuse me, <laughs> I decided to choke for a moment, we are uh, jumping back in to uh, 1 Samuel, we're going to look at, Sam, uh, at uh, Eli's worthless sons, uh, which always sounds like fun. Um, last week, I mentioned to you a, uh, uh, a commentary on Samuel, I, I, but now I have it. It's First Samuel looking at the heart, and I'm recommending this to anybody who wants to study this Bible along with us, this book, Bible book along with us. Every campus has at least two copies of this that you can pick up by going to the campus pastor and asking him for it, but you can get it yourself on Amazon. They, they deliver pretty quickly. First Samuel by Dale um, Ralph Davis. Appreciate it if you do that. And now I want to ask a special favor from all of you. If you would join me in a prayer for a family member of mine. Um, I have a, a, an uncle who's very important to me. Who's going in for brain surgery in a few days. And, um, and, and he, uh, he's got Parkinson's. And he means a lot to me and to my family. And he's getting older. But he's not old yet. But uh, I have a concern for him. A special concern for him. And, uh, and so I just want to pray with him. I know he's one of the, my few family members who uh, actually peeks in on my sermons from time to time. From, and he lives in California. His name's Fred, by the way. Um, my life is filled with Fred's. I have no idea why. It just is. Um, so would you join me in a quick prayer for him because he's on my mind. Father in heaven, um, you put us in the families you put us in. You choose who our relatives will be before we are born and um, they, they, you give us uh, the familial uh, dedication and devotion to one another that becomes really the strength of our social lives. And uh, for my Uncle Fred, who has been a strength to many in our family, I pray you would be his strength as he goes through this surgery. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, thank you for uh, indulging me that. Um, personal prayer request. Now let's, let's jump into 1 Samuel. We are in chapter 2, verse 11 to 36, and now we've just been introduced to something the Bible calls worthless men. Um, I don't think I should go around calling any men or women or children worthless because I can't judge the heart, but God judges the heart, so if God says that they're worthless, they're indeed worthless, okay? Five truths from the story of these two worthless men and their father. Um, one, Israel had poor spiritual leadership. They did not love God. To, to understand this book, we have to hold on to the history of the book. There's a story that's going on. The Bible isn't just a collection of religious stuff like the Quran is or other religious books. It's actually got a story that begins in Genesis and ends in Revelation. It's not all chronological, but a good bit of the first part is. And where we are in Israel's history is they have very bad leaders. Can anyone here, probably not, but maybe, identify with the idea that a nation could have very bad moral leaders? Anybody? And you hope someone will come along and fix that. 
Well, they have very bad leaders, but they did not always have bad leaders. The nation at this point is only a couple hundred years old. Them as an ethnic people are much older than a couple hundred. They're about 500 years old, 700 years old, but as a nation, 200 years old. I think Americans can understand that. We as Americans uh, started showing up on this on this uh, continent when in the, the 1500s and 1600s, we didn't become a nation till the end of the 18th century. And um, we've been a nation a little over 200 years. So it, we're a young nation. They're a young nation. We used to have uh, the kind of leaders we would want back today. We, we had, you know, George Washington and John Adams and Patrick Henry and give me liberty or give me death. Um, they had um, Joshua who brought them into the land, he is the hero. And his generation was, they stuck to their nation's codes, why they were there, and they worshiped their God, and it was really a good place to be. But as time went on, and God blessed that land, the people began to live sinfully. Does that sound anything like the United States? Um, But in any case, this is not about the United States. This is about Israel. I'm not trying to make those comparisons, they're just there. But, um, and, and then they had no king. The way God chose to rule Israel was to be different from all the other nations. He didn't want kings or chiefs or monarchs. What he wanted was them to be ruled by him as their king. And since he was their king, the way they learned to order themselves civilly and religiously and morally and socially was all written out by the prophet Moses in the law. So all they had to do was all keep the law, and they had priests who administered the law. Unfortunately, when everyone goes south, (laughs) um, you need heroes. And the book of Judges, which comes right after Joshua, is the story of heroes who come to rescue a nation with bad leaders. So you might go back and read Judges, and you might enjoy that. That's where you meet guys like Samson. Remember Samson, big strong guy? Heroes who come along to rescue the nation. They're called judges. They don't sit with the with black robes and go like this. They, they actually lead the nation towards God. Well, Eli is the, is the judge of record. And his kids are absolutely rotten. Uh, Phineas and Hophni... Um, <laughs> Or, or the, Eli's old now. He's getting older every day. We don't know how many years have passed since little uh, Sammy came to him. It could be five or six or seven. But he is getting very old. Um, he'd be old in our time. He lives into his 90s. And, and his sons run the place, and they are awful sons. God, they are entrusted. Phineas and Hophni are entrusted with God's people to care for them. But instead of caring for them, they abuse them. Now again, does that remind you of anything in our day? In a sense, nothing ever changes, does it? Here you have two priests, religious men, who, are, who should be caring for God's flock, God's people, giving them the way of God, showing them the holiness of God. Instead, they go to the servants, the ladies who are supposed to serve at the, at the, at the worship site, and they... And they molest them. The, uh, they, they are filled with pride. They're filled with greed. They see themselves as there to enrich themselves off the people. And mostly, 
blasphemy against God himself. Why do priests do evil instead of good? Why those appointed for our good in the name of God do evil? Why do they now? Why did they then? Well, the answer is in the text in verse 12. Look again. Hopefully you're, you're bringing your Bibles, you're keeping them open, you're paying attention um, so you can see what God is saying. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. There's your explanation. They did not know the Lord. They had no personal friendship with God. They were born into uh, the line of Aaron, so they, they, they were qualified to be priests by birth, and, and they went through whatever religious hoops they had to jump through, but they did not know God. And you might say, well, how can you be a priest? How can you learn the word and not know the Lord? I don't know how, but it's very common then and throughout history and now. Happens all the time. People see serving the Lord vocationally or as a career as a vocation and not as a relationship with God not as regeneration all human beings who walk the planet are lost until they're found no one starts out found and then becomes more found we're all lost and in that lost state we are by soul by nature by spirit Rebellious against God, sinful. What needs to happen in our dead souls is regeneration. Just like in all those kind of uh, science-y spaceship movies, you'll have a dead planet and someone will invent this machine that show Genesis machine and life comes out of nowhere. That is what each human soul needs, regeneration. You need Genesis in your heart, right? You need to know God. We Jesus said, put it this way in the New Testament, unless someone is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. And also Paul put it in Ephesians, you were dead in your trespasses, but God, because of his love, made you alive. These two men are not alive spiritually. They're dead and they lead. And that happens throughout history. That is happening right now. There are churches all over the areas where we live that have ministers, pastors, priests, or whatever they want to call themselves, that are not going to be in heaven. Now, that's not a popular thing to say because, oh, you're judging other people. I'm not saying who, but I bet if I met a few of them, I could tell you who. There are people who lead other people in the name of Christ who are not going to be in heaven. They take on religion as a vocation. This is why you can have churches that were once faithful generations ago that have had a couple generations where nobody gets saved in the church and they don't even know they're not getting saved in the church. How many of you have seen those churches? This is what happened to the mainline denominations. Those are the big Protestant denominations. All their seminaries gave up on teaching the word of God as as, as inerrant and infallible, and they started to say it was filled with errors, and so they started to churn out priests and ministers and pastors who were unbelievers, wearing collars, wearing robes, and they never met the Lord. And people would come into a building with stained glass windows and crosses, and it all meant nothing at all. And whole congregations of people who said, we are Christian, who do not know the Lord. 
It's just as true today as it was then. It's not an unusual occurrence. Who does know the Lord then? You might be starting to get scared. (laughs) Maybe my pastor doesn't know the Lord. (laughs) I hope I do. (laughs) I think I do. Well, how do you know? Well, there's a congruence of what the Bible says and what the pastor believes. Right? Uh, There's conversion in the Bible. You read the book of Acts, you see people get converted. There's people who love Jesus. They believe certain things and they do certain things. But mostly, they know him. They're regenerated by him. And perhaps the best way to know if someone is saved is this. When Jesus entered their life, he became the most important thing. That's how you know if you're saved. Now, that doesn't mean you always feel the best towards him, even though our emotions should always feel praiseworthy because he's always worthy. We're weak. But he should be the most important thing with nothing second to him. John Piper puts that like this. Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. He didn't... I can't tell you how many times I will talk to people who go to church and then they they go away from church and maybe you try to pull them back in and the problem is all they see is Christianity, all they see is religion. They don't realize that Jesus is more important than anything else and perhaps the problem is they never met God because that's what changes when you meet them. If you treasure anything above seeing and savoring God, That's not being saved. That's not regenerate. Piper goes on. And people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there, he says. People who who are like, I want everything heaven gives. Does Christ have to be there? Well, no. If the place is, you know, if the bar is well stocked and I got the keys and everything's happy, I don't really need him. Well, then you won't be there. The gospel is not a way, he says, this is the quote, to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted by the gospel. And I'd say John Piper is exactly right. Now, if you say, well, that that was really heady stuff. Well, that's how John Piper talks. For my money, I really like the way Keith Green said it. He said it like this. A really good definition of a Christian. He's saying the same thing John Piper says, okay? It's the same thing. That nice quote. A really good definition of a Christian is someone who's bananas for Jesus. Same quote. Does that work for you? Bananas for Jesus. You're a fan. You're weird. You're whack. There's nothing you seem to care about but his priorities. Him. He's the pearl of great price. You found it, you were excited about it, you sold everything, you bought it. Apparently, nothing matters to you more than Jesus. Right. (coughs) Phineas and Hophni were not bananas for Jesus. They wouldn't know the name of Jesus, but they weren't bananas for him because they weren't bananas for the God of Israel, who is Jesus, Yahweh, Jehovah. Verse 17 displays this. Look again to the text. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with 
contempt. The, that offering which was supposed to go to the Lord, they saw it as free day at the, at the butcher shop. When we have these, when we have these, big, these big festivals, we're going to clean up. Don't even cook it. We want it raw. We want to sizzle the fat ourselves. Ignoring the fact that this was uh, the God who loves you, gave you in the law. Do this because of your sin. Do this because of my holiness. Do this to show you appreciate how great I am. And then he said, well, I don't give a dang about any of that crud. There's people just like that today who say they're Christians. But when you talk about the things of Christ... Walking with Christ, obeying Christ. If they could say it plainly, they'd say, I don't give a dang about any of that crud. I just received Jesus so I can go to heaven. Don't judge me. There are those who look at the cross with contempt. The cross is the great offering of the Lord. Right? All these other offerings are setups. The great offering comes when God gives his son to die on a cross for the sins of the world. All the rest are shadows. And there are people, Christians, so-called, who look on Christ's cross with the contempt that Phineas and Hophni looked on the meat they were stealing. There are, I could give you names, not afraid to give you names, will name names, and if they come up again, I'll name more names of people who call themselves priests, pastors, ministers, bishops, who deny that the atonement the, the, the purchase, if you will, the payment for sin was the blood of Christ on a cross. They deny that the only way to heaven is through the blood of Christ on the cross and they call themselves Christian leaders. They do not know Christ. They have contempt for his offering. They're not bananas for Christ. In fact, they hate God. And if you told them that, they'd say you're nuts. Second, observation here or truth that we should get and this is the most tragic truth I think in the whole chapter and in the chapters that follow Eli was complicit in Israel's poor spiritual leadership Eli was complicit in other words he went along with it and the reason that's tragic because there's there's every reason to believe that Eli loves God he seems as like a, a, a decent guy at first glance. He, his prayer for Hannah was heard and God answered it. He raised Samuel to be a righteous man. So we, I would assume he knows God. We could even say, well, he did confront his son's sins. He did, but how did he do it? Let's look at that again. Look at verse 22 and following. It says, Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? Why do you do such things? Because he's, he's a Brooklyn Jew. He's a, For I hear of your evil dealings with all these people, no, my sons. This is of no good report that I hear of the people of the Lord spreading abroad. Now, so far, so good. The problem is he does nothing about it. And then he, he brings the wood right here. He's, he's bringing the truth to them right here. He says, if someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. The reason you give offerings, I, God will forgive you. 
the Christ will forgive you. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? This is very similar to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament that says if you hear about the cross, you hear about the Christ, but you reject that, you trample on the cross, there's no way to get you saved. If, if, if you don't want peace with God, no one can help you. So Eli knew the Lord, but he was a coward. He told the truth to his sons, but he did not enforce the truth with his sons. He had been obviously in a habit of not enforcing the truth with his sons. Why? Because he was a coward. And he was valuing them over God. As a Christian, how do you know you're getting off course? You value anything over for Christ. More than Christ. Now you wouldn't say you would, but you're doing it. And that's what Eli did. So God sent a prophet to Eli. Now if Eli is the bull goose, the chief holy man, the father of the priests, the most powerful religious man in the country, who tells him the truth? Well, there's no one. So God sent a man. He raised up a prophet and said, go tell him something. And he said this, why then do you, Eli, scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? He could have argued then if he'd stopped, I'm not doing it, my sons are doing it. But look what it says. And you honor your sons above me. How many people honor their sons above God? Honor their daughters above God. Honor their boyfriends above God. Honor their their girlfriends above God. Honor their parents above God. God wants nothing to do with that. You honor your sons above me. You fatten yourselves. You're, You're going along with it. No, you're not stealing from the pot. But you don't turn away the prophets, do you? Of the choicest parts of every offering of my people. It's clear from this this chapter that you must never consider God second to anything in your life. Eli was enabling his sons to sin and sin greatly. You know, being a religious leader, you have to do hard things at times. You've got to step in someone's face and say, this isn't right. And they say, well, I'm doing it anyway. And you say, no, you are not doing it anyway. We're going to put a stop to that. You can't do that. And you lose friends and people don't want to do it. It's really easy in theory. But when you do it in practice, you have real people standing in front of you. And it could be your own kids. Parents, Christian parents, Christian teachers, church leaders, don't be cowards. That's another sermon. I'm not making this the central application, but here it is just sitting there. Do not be cowards. Don't be afraid to make your kids do the right thing. If their heart is not in it, you can tell them, I know your heart's not in it. You're going to do it because it's a Christian house and it's the right thing to do. I didn't ask you if you wanted to. Do not be a coward and enable them to go on. Church leaders likewise. Church leaders can be cowards. Do not want to mention someone's sin. 
Third truth. God replaces poor leaders with good ones, <laughs> those who love God. So you have bad leaders, those who don't love God. Well, we need some good leaders who do love God. Well, he may or may not replace them for our nation, but he is going to replace them for Israel. He will replace them in his church. God will suffer poor leadership. He'll put up with it for a time, but not forever. So this unnamed prophet was sent to Eli. Let's go back to what he said in verse 34 and 35. He says something chilling to this old man. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be a sign to you. So what's going to happen to Hophni and Phinehas isn't even the worst of it. It's just a sign of the worst of it. The curse upon your family. Both of them shall die on the same day. You honor them above me. What do you honor now? They're dead. Note, Christian, if you could step out of that, this for a moment, put yourself in 2018 and note the sort of God that's in the pages of Scripture. He's not one to be trifled with. Modern times don't change him. And he says, And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what's in my heart and my mind. God's stepping in. He says, I'm going to raise up someone who puts me first. Eli probably had his good moments, but your son's got to go, and I'm going to raise someone up. Now, this chapter is all about, if you just look at it from a literary standpoint, it's about two worthless men, Phineas and Hophni, and the whole chapter is about them, and the next chapter, we're going to see that they get theirs, (laughs) Um, so don't touch that dial, (laughs) tune in again next week, (laughs) same bat time, but even though it's about Phineas and Hophni, Notice that the Bible writer drops in Samuel just to have a comparison several times. So I want to show them to you so you see it in the text that God is trying to say to us who read the Bible today, if I have bad leaders, I'm going to raise up ones that have my heart. Watch this, okay? So then he drops them in. So look, say it, for example, verse 11 and 12. He says, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. That's Samuel. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. Notice he puts them right together. This isn't about Samuel. We're going to have a few chapters that Samuel does nothing. Soon. He does something. Forget it. He's not going to be the chief part of the story. The boy ministered to the Lord. The sons of Eli were worthless. Look again in verse 17 and 18. Thus... The sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. But before we tell you more about Phineas and Hophni, the Bible writer says, can I point point out Samuel to you? Samuel was ministering before the Lord. (laughs) He's just thrown in there. Look again in verse 21 and 22. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli was very old and kept hearing all that his sons were doing in Israel. So, so we have, the Bible writer wants you and I to see a contrast. That God, there are bad leaders, God's raising up someone after his own heart, and he's kind of hinting who he is. It's like the prophet went up and said, God is going to raise up someone who has his heart. <coughs> Sam. <laughs> Sam. I'm not saying who. He's raising up little Samuel. Little Sammy's there with his little... His little robe, his mommy made him. I love you, Jesus. 
Yay, Jehovah. He's the one. Big, powerful Phineas and Hoffman, he run the place. And this little dude is the one God's going to raise up. He reminds me of Jesus, born in Bethlehem, and nowhere town, but at least it had historical importance. It was David's town, but then he was raised in Nazareth, a nowhere town that has no importance. And um, Luke 2.40, I want to read this familiar, this is a Christmas verse, you'll recognize it, but think about how it sounds with what we just read about Samuel, how similar they are. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. You see, the same kind of language used to Samuel's, now it's being used of the Christ. You know, I got bad leaders all over the place in first century Israel too. But I'm raising up my own as this little Jesus fellow from Nazareth. Jesus grew up unseen. Isaiah the prophet said he was like someone who grew up before us and we couldn't recognize him. This obscure Galilean peasant, this little outpost on the Roman Empire in the desert. Somehow, without raising his fist, raising an army, writing a pamphlet, or organizing a club, without doing any of those things, without running for election, he became a threat to all Israel's awful leaders. But God lifted him up. Leaders crucified him. And then he rose from the dead. Jesus is opposed by the arrogant of the earth today, by the way. He is opposed by the nations of the earth He is opposed by Islam. He is opposed by atheists and secularists. He is opposed people. Why? What are the people of the world raging against right now morally? Think about it. All over the world. They're raging against being made male and female. They're raging against their own children needing the right to kill them. They're raging against sexual right and wrong from God. They're raging against the family. They're raging against not having the freedom to be as licentious and sinful and self-indulgent as they want. They're raging against God. But God has chosen his leader, the one who has his heart, his son, Jesus Christ. Samuel is kind of like a shadow of the Jesus to come. He's like a little picture of that. This little dude growing up. Now I'm here to save this nation. <laughs> Samuel's like, I'm gonna set it straight. He doesn't know it yet. He's just a little fella. Just wandering around saying, I said in my prayers, can I have some candy? Probably, because he's a little boy. And these awful men, Phineas and Hophni, and the nation are like, I hate going to worship with Phineas and Hophni. They steal the meat. I mean, in the text, godly men are saying to them, don't take the meat till I give God the fat. And they're like, no, you're giving it to me or I'll beat you up. Who wants to worship with those kind of priests? God's raising up this little fellow right in the middle of him to save the nation. It's definitely a shadow of the great one, Jesus, to come. Fourth truth, though. God is in debt to no one. No one holds God in their debt. God owes no one anything. Hannah asked for a son. Can I have a son? God, can I have a son? God gives a son. Holy Spirit comes like a wind. (laughs) It's going to be a good moment right here. God, (laughs) Hannah, God gave Hannah a son and she gave her son back to him in service. Didn't she? You might think she put God in her debt. 
since I gave you my son, you now owe me. That attitude is from Satan. She doesn't have it, by the way. She doesn't think that way. But it's very easy for people of all times, even good Christians, to fall into self-pity or a feeling of being ripped off by God because you think, I served you faithfully. Where's mine? As if I have lent something to you more valuable than you give to me. I've made you my debtor. No man makes God his debtor. This is why we're saved by grace. Because if you say you're saved by all your good deeds, or because you're better than your brother the prodigal, what you're saying is, God, I made you my debtor by behaving you owe me. God owes no one. So she gave her son back in service to God What is God's response? Look at verse 20 and 21. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. You want one son? I'll give you one son. But tell you what, we're not done. I'm giving you five kids. You're the stinking Brady Bunch here. After the one, (laughs) right? He overpaid her. He over, you wanted one, you got six. Hannah would not say, could not say that she gave to the Lord. He gave her everything she had and more than she expected. She never put him in her debt. Samuel came from God. Five children came from God. This theme is bigger in the Bible and I want to take a moment to point it out. The way God keeps from being in your debt is first, you don't have anything he didn't give you. But if we stop there, that's only kind of good news because it means he can take it all away. Isn't that what Job said? His kids died, he said, Lord gives, Lord takes away. Well, if we stop there, Job's a pretty sad book. But the way he wants to make sure you get that you're not in his debt is then he lavishly, generously gives you way more than you ever could ask for or deserve. Well, what am I getting this for? Because I'm awesome, would be God's answer. And that means that no one who gives anything to the Lord loses anything. She, she gave her son to the Lord. Did she lose something? She lost nothing. What about those days with that cute little guy? They didn't even have an iPhone or Face FaceTime. They couldn't even see the little guy and She lost nothing. She's now in glory with that little guy. And she has everything and more than everything and more glory and more joy because she gave to the Lord. The Lord's like, you gave to me what I gave to you. Thank you for giving me back what I gave to you. Now what I'm gonna do is is, is I already gave you stuff for free. Now I'm gonna reward you for giving it back by giving you more stuff, more glory, more joy. That's the God of the Bible too. He's not fair. If he was fair, we'd all be in hell. He's generous to a, I was going to say to a fault, but nothing's a fault for him. He's just crazy generous. He's in no one's, how can he be in anyone's debt when he is characterized by unrestrained generosity? The cross is the best example we were all poor. And he made us rich. 
Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God. My entire salvation? Yeah, it's not, you didn't do it. But I prayed to receive Christ. You don't get credit for nothing. It's a gift, it's a gift, it's a gift. You just get it. It's not a result result of works that no one should boast, for where is workmanship? Even whatever you offer to him in this life, it's because he made you a worker. He built you into what he wanted you to be. This is important in good times. It's definitely important in suffering. Because when you're in suffering, you can have the wrong idea that you're never going to get paid back for this hard time. That it won't be worth it. And that's a lie. It will not only be worth it to have suffered. I got a feeling the first time we see Jesus, it'll hit us. It'll, it'll hit us like an accounting issue, like a business proposition. I wish I'd suffered more. Because look at the glory and payback from this unrestrained generosity of an unrestrained God. Who can boast to God that he's given him anything? Well, God, I preached for you. I was a preacher. I wore my blue shirt for you. (laughs) He's like, I gave you your blue shirt, the shoulders that hold it up. And... uh, I'm going to overpay you for preaching. God's like, the sermon wasn't that good. I'm, I'm the one who made it work. <laughs> You're going to find out in heaven it was me doing it. And then I'm going to overpay you. And for this Christian, I, I want to make a call to you that is right now, every day and forever. Give him more. Give him all of you. There is nothing you're risking Zero. You risk nothing by giving him everything, including your life. You could die in his service by faith and you lose nothing. Paul puts this in an easy sentence. Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, but to die, it's gain. Jesus said in Mark 8, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Do you see what Jesus, our eternal Savior and God and Lord, and we can call him our teacher and our coach, is saying for us to do? Jump off! Should I try the hardest thing? Yeah! But I'm risking all. So, if, if you want to keep it, you lose it. But if you lose it, you save it. Hannah gave a tremendous gift to God. It would humble any honest parent to think of what she gave. Because she's not a bad mom. I don't think she's a bad mom who just doesn't care about her kid. But she never thought God was in her debt. Have you given your life to Jesus? And I ask this to the Christian. Or are you like Phineas and Hophni? You do the religion thing. But then you go out and live for greed and pride and what you can take from others and your sexual appetite. And I don't want any form of religion. I don't want to be religious. I don't want you to have a religious pastor. You know what I want you to have? A pastor who's bananas for Jesus. Not a perfect pastor because there isn't one but just one who's a little nutty for how he makes his priorities. And that's all I want for you. I want you to be nutty. 
Jesus becomes the priority, the reason you say, I will not live with you anymore, honey, why not? Because I'm not married to you, and Jesus, though you're awesome, is more important than you. Mom and dad, I am going to be baptized. I know it's not the way you want me to, but Jesus is more important than you. Boss, I am not going to lie anymore. I'm going to tell the customer the truth. We will lose the account and you will fire me, but Jesus is more important than you and this job. And I will say to God, I will move anywhere, do anything, anytime. I'm amazed at how many Christians don't even think of missionary service because they think they have a right to choose where they live. You do not. And if you want to hold on to where you live, you will lose it. You just grow old and croak on it. Someone else will come get it. But if you give it up, you gain. Jesus is saying, be a risky person for me. Whatever you got, lose it. You'll save it. Jesus is like, I got you. He's very, very rich, folks. He's very rich. You hold really tight. He gave me some money and I got to steward it. Well, stewarding it looks like you're going to bust your veins holding tight to his money. Well, you're going to lose that. But if you want to really invest, get rid of it. And while you're at it, throw your whole life. Fifth and last point is there's a point of no return. I wish I could end on point four because it's happier, better. <laughs> Point five is difficult. Maybe I should have rearranged them. But I don't think you can come back from this one. So I made it the last point. I don't think you can say this and go anywhere. So there's a point of no return. You can get to a point in your stubbornness as a religious person where God determines you're doomed and you cannot be saved. You can get to a point where you walk the earth and you cannot be saved. Coming from an evangelical Christian who will tell anyone, anywhere, you can be saved if you repent and put your faith in Christ. That Christ will take back. He will never say no to anyone who gives himself to him. And that is still true. But there can come a point where you can't say that. You won't say that. Even as a religious Christian person, you think. Phineas and Hophni went too far. They went too far. They should have died before this because they weren't going to be saved. God had a purpose for them and he did not let them repent. And you might say, is that really what the Bible says, Mike? God did not let them. Well, open your Bible and look. This is the end of the sermon. It's finished by looking at it. No, my sons, Eli told them, it's not a good report that I hear of the, the people of the Lord spreading abroad. My sons, if someone sins against man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? Now that ends what Eli says. Now look what the Bible, what God says about their reaction. But they would not listen to the voice of their father. Why not? Why wouldn't they listen to their father who's giving them good advice? It's not because they were really enjoying 
the wealth, the sex, and all the other things and the power. Here it is. They wouldn't listen because it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. God had determined it's time. You will not repent. Your father's going to tell you the truth. He's going to tell you the way of repentance. You will not listen to him. Why? Because I have determined as God that you're finished. Now I don't pretend to know and I would say anyone in here is a fool to guess if anyone's re- you shouldn't say well I've got an uncle and <laughs> I think that's him. Don't. You don't know. You don't know. But I do know this. Today if you hear his voice and there's any sense in you that Jesus is you're not bananas for him. He's not your number one treasure. If there's any sense in you that I need to respond to that, you'd better respond to it today because the day will come when you cannot. At least it can. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.